Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wannabe Entrepreneur, the podcast about what it's really like to bootstrap a company. And today we are doing another interview. I have with me Michelle Marceline. Hey, Michelle, everything good with you? Hey, I'm good. How are you? Very good. Thank you so much for accepting uh, this uh, invitation to speak here with the wannabe entrepreneurs about your exciting journey. And my goal here today is to speak a little bit about your journey, building uh, Type Dream and building uh, all the startups that you've built. <laughs> it's uh, it's <laughs> really interesting. And to speak also a bit your, about your uh, journey in uh, Y Combinator, which is, I guess, one of the top accelerators in the world. And I was already doing uh, some research and I know that you didn't start with uh, with Type Dream, so there's a lot of pivots, and I, I find that super, <laughs> super interesting. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And and then I, I I would also love to speak about Web Three because you you have in your bio that you are cooking up something with Web Three, which I found really mysterious. And uh, Web Three is popping up everywhere, and I'm super curious to to learn more about it. And uh, to kick uh, things off, I would just like to ask you to kind of introduce yourself in your own words to the wannabe entrepreneur listeners. Of course. Thank you so much, Tiago, for inviting me here. Hey, everyone. I'm Michelle. I'm a co-founder at Type Dream. I was born and raised in Indonesia, and I moved to the U.S. for college in 2015. Um, after graduating for co from college in 2019, I decided to take a day job, but then quit just after three months to apply to Y Combinator. And um, fortunately, I got in. Um, so ever since Y Combinator, I've just been building startups. And the most recent one is Type Dream, which is a no-code website builder. Wow. After three months. That's that's very crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Is is this this passion for entrepreneurship something that comes uh, from a young age for you? Well, I've heard of Facebook and Google back then in Indonesia. I mm -hmm. watched the show, like the Social Network, the Silicon Valley series, right, yeah. but it was all a fantasy to me. Like someone from my country, Indonesia, especially my city, it wasn't even the it's not even the capital city in Indonesia. Mm -hmm. All of this was a fantasy. I couldn't even dream it because I don't know. I did not know how to get there. Yeah. But when I went to college to in the US in 2015, I met my four other co-founders in a computer science class, the first ever actually. And we kind of talked about why we studied computer science and what we wanted to be in the future. Um, right. And turns out from hanging out with people here in the US, it is possible to work at Facebook and Google. Like it is attainable. You have right. definite steps to get there. But what about being like them? What about building your own? So that's what got us in inspired. And mm -hmm. me and my four other co-founders, we've been building mini projects. I wouldn't say they were like startup ideas. They were just out of class projects um, since 2015. Hmm. And finally in 2019, after we like quit our day jobs, we decided to do something more serious and call it a startup and 
um, submitted that idea to Y Combinator. So all of you quit your jobs together. Correct. That's so cool. So so can you introduce a little bit your co-founders because I find I find that they they will probably be a crucial part of of this journey too. I have an unusually large co-founding team. It's the five of us building Type Dream together. Okay, five, wow. Um, yeah, five co-founders. That's why I said unusually large. Mm -hmm. But um, I mostly do the product and marketing in the company, so I figure okay. out what to do with the product and just build my personal brand on Twitter for like the marketing right. strategy is building in public via Twitter. And then the CEO is Kevin. He's in charge of um, the product like me and fundraising. Okay. And then we, I have three other co-founders. The three of them are technical. Okay. So they're the one who actually build the product. Mm -hmm. That's a uh, yeah. That's a, a big team, big team of people. <laughs> it, it does yeah. seem that you cover all the areas. Correct. But, uh, I, I'm curious to ask. I mean, five co-founders together uh -huh. since college. That seems like a perfect story. But do you have? <laughs> is it easy to maintain? Do do you sometimes have arguments or discussions, or you don't just agree? Uh, how do you, how do you, is this uh, relationship managed? Is it always smooth or do you have some uh, rough patches as well? No, there were definitely some rough patches, but we learned over the years, like we learned each other's strengths and weaknesses and decided to use like the strength to build the company. So let's say we have this guy who always dreams, like, Yeah, to mm -hmm. dream as high as the sky, but there's this other guy who would put up back to the ground in terms of right. ideation, let's say. Uh -huh. And then there's one guy who really likes to work, like just codes, codes, codes without really thinking how or like where we should take the product. But we have one other guy who doesn't really code, but keeps on researching on where to right. take the product, something like that. Yeah, we just learned from each other mm -hmm. and uh, you are the only woman in the group right uh, no there no. is one more woman okay. in the technical team okay i mean that's it really seems like <laughs> the perfect team you know well balanced you know it's, it's really nice and you, you just told me that you you all live together and yes. uh, you transformed one of the floors of your apartment into an office right Correct. Yeah. So we work, we live together. <laughs> That's such a cool story. I think I find it really nice It's because you end up kind of being a, a little family as well, right? I mean, you live together. Yeah. You're always the same. You're going through the same journey together. Uh, yeah, it's like a, a little yeah. family, isn't it? And the five of us are immigrants here in the U.S., so we okay. don't have any like family or that many friends. So we're right. yeah. each other's family and friends mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is it a, a big difference from your uh, home country in the u.s i guess it is right like what what are the oh yeah it is it is the biggest difference is that well i would say my country is still a developing country mm -hmm. so when i left um the most people were still worried about like sustaining a living <laughs> like how to Make right, sure right, right. they can still eat and 
um, live until they retire, how, how to make sure how they have how they will have enough money to sustain mm-hmm. a living. Yeah, yeah, whereas yeah. in whereas in the US here, um, it is all kind of already clear how you can sustain until you die, and you can dream a little bit more. Mm, <laughs> I don't know if yeah. this makes sense to you. <laughs> no, it, yeah, definitely. It, was yeah. it easy for for you to to do the move to to go study? Is it easy for people from abroad to go to DS? Because what I hear is that it's always hard to to move there. How is this process for you? Well, the moving is not the hard part. I would say the barrier is definitely the cost. But I was fortunate enough that my parents could afford and sent mm-hmm. me here. Right, right. And uh, it's not... How far... I was curious about this. Like, how far is the flight, mm-hmm. actually, from Indonesia to uh, San Francisco? <laughs> it's really far. It's no, far? It's really... Yeah, it's really it's all far. Pacific, right? There's no direct... Yeah, it's all over the Pacific. There's no direct flight, too. So you have to calculate the transit time. But yeah, usually yeah. the total trip time, the flight, including the transit, is minimum 29 hours. Wow. Okay. <laughs> you know what? I was I, I was checking the I was checking the map here, and I thought, okay, yeah, it seems that, you know they're kind of uh, <laughs> they only have the Pacific there, but wow, that's it's a big, uh, a big yeah. flight there. Like, how how often do you go home? Before COVID, it's maybe once a year. Once a year, yeah. Um, yeah, but I didn't go back at all in 2020 and 2021. Mm-hmm. I actually just went back to Indonesia in January for a month. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. How How does your uh, when when you speak with your parents and your family, mm-hmm. um, what are the feelings like? Do Do they ask you a lot of questions? Do Do they hope for you to return? Are they happy that you're following your dreams? Uh, um, how is that? <laughs> well, at first, when I was in college. They mm-hmm. were like, okay, you have to go home right after you graduate. But right. now that I have my own company and they kind of know that it's going well and I'm having fun, they're okay yeah. with it as long as I visit them twice a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then COVID came. <laughs> yeah, and then COVID came. Yeah. But yeah, I, I actually don't mind doing that. It's always fun to go back there and to catch yeah, up with my family. It must be a beautiful country. From back home. Yeah. yeah. How freaked were they when you quit your job <laughs> after three months? Because I imagine, you know, as you just said, a developing country, yeah. they really, you know, it's really hard to be an entrepreneur, right? And then you yeah. just say, you know, I, I came here, I did college, and now I just want to quit my job to do, you know, my own thing. How, how hard was yeah. it for them? Well, they freaked out a lot because <laughs> only a few... Like, my only hope was to land a high-paying day job because that's what everyone wanted in my Mm -hmm. college or group of friends at least so i finally got like my dream job i would say yeah um well that when i told them that i wanted to quit of course they freaked out but my pitch was um, (laughs) when else can i do it yeah, I pitched right away. So I want to take a risk while I'm young because mm-hmm. um, the older 
I grow, the less risk I can take because then I will have to get married, have some kids. I will have dependents, right? right? Which will, um, which will not allow me to do impulse decisions mm. with high risk like this. So when else, yeah. if not now? Right. I mean, you're yeah. you're still still very very young, right? I mean, uh, I, I know there's there's a lot this this pressure. Uh, where you basically okay once you, you want to start a family you kind of it's harder to to focus and, and to do the crazy hours that you're probably doing uh, building your startup mm-hmm. um, but um, I don't know I, I, I for me at least I, I felt that I've learned a lot as well in my first jobs I learned mm-hmm. how to to build better products and to code better and um, do, do you miss that do you feel that you kind of missed out in, in some learnings that you could have gotten from uh, working in, in a big tech company uh, or um, or not so much? Well, as of now, not so much. Okay. And like what I convinced myself is that if this fails, I can always go back to my nine to five job. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's okay for me to do this now. Yeah, yeah. I, I think <laughs> in, in this area for sure. Yeah, you can always yeah go go back. I just wanted to understand kind of what was the yeah the reasoning behind <laughs> what, what you're thinking. Um, yeah, and then you you are in uh, San Francisco, right? Correct. Uh, yes. Is that also where you studied? I studied in Los Angeles, Los Angeles University okay. of California, Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, you know, it's it's one of my biggest dreams also to to visit San Francisco, I, I've never, or in Silicon Valley. Um, you know, also because growing up and watching uh, Facebooks and yeah, all, all of that <laughs> amazing things, and also Y Combinator and listening to all the mm-hmm. podcasts and all the content about startup. Um, mm-hmm. How crazy is the world of VC and startup there? I, I've I've heard uh, from some people that live there too that kind of the founders. The, there's the cult of the founder and uh, the founders are like rock stars and being a developer is like being a rock star in Silicon Valley. Is that true? Do you feel the same? I feel the same. I feel like everyone I meet here is like really cool. And every time I'm in a room, I'm always the dumbest person there. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess How- it's good because then you get to yeah. talk with them. You get to be inspired, listen more and grow mm. from there. <laughs> is it a good place to to live just for the networking? I How many billionaires so. do you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know any personally. I think only millions. But yes, it's a good place to live. Like aside mm-hmm. from the network itself, the weather is really great. There are a lot yeah, of yeah. there's a lot of water here. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. the island is separated into two with water in the middle and the bridge. Wow. It's really pretty. Yeah, and then in terms of the network, it's crazy such that there are always a net, there are always networking events happening everywhere. Like almost every weekend, let's say Facebook would um, hold a networking event here. Product Hunt would hold it somewhere else. Wow. This other big company <laughs> would hold it, and usually these networking events are free, so you can just RSVP go there and meet new people, exchange ideas, make friends. Wow. 
it sounds like the entrepreneur's dream. <laughs> yeah. So cool. Well, right now we have Twitter and Twitter are also full of interesting people. So I guess any like people from the other parts of the world can st- can taste Silicon yeah. Valley more yeah. than before because of Twitter. Definitely. But I do think that it's different. On the online world and the physical world, you know, it's still different to make a connection in real life over a beer or coffee or uh, over a DM, I feel. It's a bit different. True, yeah. Uh, so you quit your job together with your co-founders uh, to to go to Y Combinator. So you already had gotten accepted uh, before quitting the job or was just like, okay, let's quit the job and, and go for it? Um, we quit first, but it was only like two or three weeks before we got accepted. So we were really lucky that we got accepted because if not, then we would have to leave the country. <laughs> because if we what? don't have... <laughs> yeah, because through Y Combinator, we were asked to establish a legal entity, like legal company entity, and they asked us to employ ourselves. That's why we had a stable job that we can stay here in the US. Without a stable right. job, you can't, right? <laughs> you can't what? just be here and do nothing. So you you didn't know before quitting your job if you're going to get accepted. And no, if we you, did not. And know. the consequence of not getting accepted is having to leave the country. Correct. How do you manage like this stress? Like was this something that was stressing you out? Well, yeah, it did stress us out, but we all, we thought that we could always go back to the job if all else fails. <laughs> Right. Ah, so you you could try to get the job quickly to make sure that you okay. Yeah. Just stay in the <laughs> yeah. Either go back to the same company yeah. or get a new job. <laughs> Still, this is something that not a lot of people would do, right? This is a huge risk. Yes. Um, it's it's. Uh, do you consider yourself a, a well, definitely a risk taker, right? I do. Yeah, I can uh, I can uh, definitely see that. <laughs> Okay, fortunately you got accepted, which is really nice. Um, yeah. And I was also reading a little bit about uh, some Medium posts that you wrote about like how to get accepted in uh, in Y Combinator uh, and all your tricks. And uh, one thing that you that you mentioned that I think found it really interesting is like in the first interview, if it's possible, it's better to describe your startup as uh, the Uber or something, or you know the Facebook or something, something that is really people can really understand what you're what you're building in in a short sentence um did you already have an idea of what you wanted to build uh before Y combinator and tell me also a little bit about that process how does that work yeah it's because when we apply to Y combinator we have to submit our idea along with some kind of an mvp so yes we already had an idea we already had an mvp as well Mm-hmm. So we got into Y Combinator with this idea to um, allow Indonesians to trade U.S. stocks. So our mm-hmm. one liner at the time was Robin Hood for Indonesia. Okay. okay. And this is Credit. because um, back in college, the five of us um, just got into stock trading. Like we just created our Robin Hood account and mm-hmm. bought some U.S. stocks and we chat with our friends Some from GameStop. Oh, GameStop was in 2020. So this yeah, was yeah. like years <laughs> before that. <laughs> no, we mostly just 
did it like a true investing we didn't trade we just mm-hmm. bought the safe stocks for us to keep it long term right right yeah but we shared this with like our friends back home we told them that oh apple gained this much just within a year compared to the stock in indonesia <laughs> right how much did it gain in the in, in that year in the same time period they were interested and they like asked us if they could put some money in our robinhood account so at first we started allowing it but then we realized if a lot of people wants to do the same thing it wouldn't be legal and would it would be a lot of work for us right yeah, to help them monitor buy sell send their money back so we thought if we could enable Indonesians to trade US stock it would be nice mm-hmm. so we found that idea because our friends wanted yeah. that product so it, it was not your own pro- your own problem that you're solving right you're solving someone yeah, else yeah it's problem. our friends problem yeah. but then um the regulations hurdles were just too much the capital mm-hmm. requirements were too were too high so we didn't end up pursuing that idea okay and we pivoted into this passwordless authentication company called Cotter right yeah <laughs> that yeah. ended up being acquired right yeah, correct so that ended up being acquired yeah. late last year mm mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also want to speak about this, uh, Carter, because you you also were the product of today on Product Hunt. I just checked; you had more than mm-hmm. you had actually five hundred votes, upvotes. I just uh, like a very wrong. In color, I, yeah, I yeah. don't remember that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I yeah, I remember <laughs> one of the largest source got like number one product of the day yeah. on Product Hunt. Yeah, uh, which is really amazing. But before we get into that, I just want to like mm-hmm. understand. What what is Y Combinator like? Is there like an office where you work, all work together? Do you have like workshops? Like, it like can you just give us a little summary of yeah. what it feels to be in the accelerator? Yeah. So Y Combinator is an accelerator. We don't work there together with the other companies, but we come there once a week, and okay. they usually accept. Like, I don't remember the number but let's say they accept 150 companies per batch and there are two mm. batches per year okay um and okay. from these 150 companies they separate it into four groups with okay. three group partners each group so the group partners are usually Y Combinator alumni like those who ha- who were in Y Combinator mm-hmm. uh, made their own startup but decided to go become a partner right or just someone from the VC space or past founders okay um, and you so only go would, there once a, once a week then once a week yes we okay. only go there once a week we would gather with our just with our group um mm. in a circle we would take turns to give the partners our weekly update what okay. we did the past week um any improvements on the metrics what we plan to do for the next week okay uh, and the partners can ask questions give feedback comment on that mm-hmm. um the other companies in the same group can also um give feedback to you too if they have okay any. yeah and was it a feeling of everyone kind of helping each other or did you sense some competition between the companies no i would say everyone 
um, helping each other because our ideas are usually not the same. Like the right. ideas are mostly unique, and if there are two companies with the same idea, they usually target a different market segment. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I don't feel any competition at all in the community. It's it, it was a really helpful one. Mm. But aside from the office hours, the, that thing we call the office office hour, okay. we would have dinners. Like so, we would move to the dining hall, just grab buffet dinners, and sit whatever we want. So we usually mm-hmm. um, take that opportunity to sit with different companies and to get to know them better. Just to okay. network with them. Did you like and spread out, or was it yeah. like so? Each co-founder would go and meet someone different, or would just always move in a team. You can spread out. It's okay. completely up to you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, if your company is a B two B company, this mm-hmm. dinner would be an awesome op- opportunity because your early customers would probably be your YC. Because since your product is for another business, this other company can just try your product and give you feedback. What was the the biggest advice or learning that you got from uh, YC? The biggest learning that I got from Y Combinator is to is not to assume what a perfect product is because we didn't know anything back then we mm-hmm. just thought okay i have to do this with to my product because um i think this is nice but you can never assume what is nice because you don't know anything so what you have to do is to talk to your potential customers and ask them what do they want okay and before even asking what they want because what they want is meaning Um, what feature you can build with your product, right? But before mm-hmm. all of that, um, you should approach your potential customer and ask what problem are they having. Right. And then, if they have the problem that your product is solving, then um, ask them what do you currently do to temp- temporarily fix the problem that you're having. Mm-hmm. And if they're already working on some fixes, or if they don't really care about the problem, you can always find the red flags. But if they are doing a temporary fix but still looking for more, then you can start offering your product. Okay, if I build this for you, will it solve your problem? Mm-hmm. And then you can ask the following questions: like, what features can we build to improve your life? Um, What can we do um, so you're willing to pay for our product? Mm-hmm. So always ask your potential customers to not assume because you don't know anything. Right, and you do mm-hmm. all that before even start writing one line of code. Correct, and that okay. is what we did not do previously, not until we learned from Y2. with the Robinhood app. With the Robinhood app. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, but I guess there the 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 it was different, right? So the the problem here, the barrier was more uh, kind of uh, different issues, like not financial but law issues. That that's why. Yeah, you uh-huh. but I guess the the bigger barrier was the regulations. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. got it. 
So you you did the pivot, right? You 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 then started working in a cutter, right? Mm -hmm. uh, is that okay to do that? To just completely switch your yep. app in the middle of YC? Yep, that's completely okay. Um, I would say a large percentage of companies pivot in the middle of the Y Combinator batch. Okay. I would say almost half. So that's very common. And YC even said that okay. they invested in the founders and not really in the idea. Like they care about the idea, but not so much. They care yeah. more about the founders because they believe that ideas can come and go, but what makes a company successful are the founders. And if the founders are formidable, then they can just pivot until... Like mm. they will not give up until they succeed. Yeah, true, true, true. And how diverse was the group of people there of the the founders? Like like different ages, different countries, mm -hmm. different backgrounds? Or yeah, was there like very a very diverse. Yeah. Very diverse. Um, yeah, correct. Different ages, different backgrounds, different right. countries, race. It's very it seems like an amazing place to be and you've probably met are you still friends with people you met there? Yes. And the amazing part is that the alumni network is really strong because we have this internal platform called Bookface where only YC alumni can join. Mm. It's like a mini Reddit, but for YC alumni, so we can still connect with our YC friends there. That's cool. What, what do they get in return from helping you out? Um, they invested 150,000 USD for 7% in our company. Wow. Okay. So they're an investor. Mm -hmm. Got it. Yeah. yeah. The, you, so they invested in Cotter, right? Um, yes. But it's the same legal entity. So it's still Type Dream as well. Ah, it's the same. Okay. Yeah. So you, you're kind of all, I guess, the motivated because it didn't work out with the, your previous app. How did you just like, okay, let's find something quickly. Tell me about how you came up with the with idea. With the idea of Cotter? Yeah. Okay. So we got accepted to Y Combinator in October 2019. Okay. But the batch did not start until January 2020. Okay. So we had like two or three months there. We decided to come back to Indonesia since our product is for Indonesia and talk to the people there. Like get basic we were just trying to figure out how to get the um, regulations sorted out so we reached out to financial tech companies mm -hmm. talk to them and yeah it's to get some insights so we talked to this fintech stock trading company in indonesia about the regulations um but then they saw our mvp and they um saw our login Okay. solution mm -hmm. like how we authenticate users and they were interested like okay how did okay. you do that we mm -hmm. really need the solution and it's because i know it's just login or sign up but things are very different back in indonesia or in any developing countries we would say because people they there don't use emails really? they use phone numbers to log into apps and websites and along with the phone mm -hmm. numbers, they don't use passwords. They use one-time codes. So they would need, you would need to send a one-time code to their SMS and they would right. enter that, that code. 
Yeah, that's the most common login flow in Indonesia Why? and in Why other so developing different? countries. Um, I would say because people there are not so tech savvy or were not, that mm-hmm. passwords is a, just a very high barrier for them. Okay. Emails are also a very high barrier for them, whereas mm-hmm. phone number, everyone has it. And right. they're mobile first. Yeah, like they're late there's not in a lot the of tech. Uh, laptops, is there? It's yeah, like not a, a lot uh, of laptops. Cell phones and, yes, yeah. everyone uses cell phone, even to work. Like That's they so use yeah. their cell phone for everything. <laughs> to work? Hopefully not code in your cell phone, right? <laughs> no, 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 I'm not talking about code because the <laughs> right, right. <laughs> majority of work there is not coding, right? Right. What, what is mm-hmm. it? What is the majority of work? Um, Factories, I would say. Okay. Mm. So, yeah, they would contact their suppliers, their clients, everything mm-hmm. through their phone. Everything is through right. a phone call. Your uh, Robinhood, I, I keep on calling it Robinhood, uh, but it's not the, it's like your yeah, Robinhood like app. Yeah, the Robinhood for Indonesia, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, so you, you implemented the login uh, with the phone, right? Correct. Yes, and, correct. And then you found that this company was interested in actually in the way you implemented it, which is something really interesting that also happens a lot with with bootstrapping, which is like you start with something and then to build your first app, whatever, you build a piece of technology that then you realize, wait, just this piece of technology might be interesting. And that's what happened to you. Yes, that is what happened to us. Like this okay. other company were interested in our login flow and asked us if they could white label it instead of building it in-house. Okay, it's amazing. How do you react to something like this? You know, you come there to pitch something and then they come, wait, by the way, I'm just interested in this. How much does it cost? Like, <laughs> how, how do you react? Like, Did you think, okay, well, this is course, an opportunity, let's grab it? Or it was like, okay, we are not interested in that for now. Well, of course, we just took it. And then we didn't say anything <laughs> during that particular meeting, but we came back eventually. Tell tell me about how, how this go after after that meeting. So your co-founders and you... Uh, you're like, hey, are, are you surprised about this? Like, shall we go for it? Uh, or were some of you that said like, okay, no, just ignore it. And let's focus on the Robin Hood for Indonesia. Um, I think we didn't really discuss about it being an opportunity yet. We wanted mm-hmm. to focus on this Robin Hood for Indonesia thing. Right. But then after weeks of trying to get the regulation and seemed to reach a dead end we just remembered of that moment oh yeah this company was interested in this feature why don't we explore more (laughs) yeah yeah so you went back to interviewing potential customers trying to find like you you went back to basically uh almost the uh the beginning right correct every time we pivoted we always started from zero i would say okay okay and um you built the product and you it became a top product on product hunt so it was the product of the day uh as i mentioned with more than or 500 upvotes just now um how did you manage that like you, you are also the, the marketing expert for me i i never get more than 20 upvotes on, on product hunt <laughs> So you you didn't have an audience before, right? So you just released yes. this and how how what what can you give some tricks and tips on how to get uh, that far with the product hunt? Yeah. So 
I have some tips and tricks, like the story be- behind Type Dreams product and success. But for Quarter, yes, I didn't have a Twitter audience back then. I haven't even started building my Twitter account. Mm-hmm. Um, but I used to, since Quarter is a very technical product, my CTO used to write articles on Medium and Def.co. Let's say mm-hmm. like developer focused publication. Right, yeah, yeah, we used mm-hmm. to, yeah, we used to write about why passwordless is the, is the future, about the technicals of authentication. Mm-hmm. So we built our audience there. You're already writing with the goal of building an audience, right? Um, I would say it's it was to get some product engagement to talk right. more about our product. Mm-hmm. Validate the idea. You know what I'm. What I'm curious here is that how do you learn this? Because this is something that took me a long time to understand that you need to build an audience first, that you need to write content just to get people to be interested in your product. Um, was this something that was being taught in Y Combinator? How to get an audience? How to get people? How to get traction? Or how did you learn this? Because you just came out of college. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was not from Y Combinator. It's actually because when my developer team were building this product, they Googled, of course, they didn't build it from scratch, right? Like they used, they did a lot of Googling to mm-hmm. eventually build the product. And during these Googling sessions, they found that reading someone's articles about the topic really helped so once they were an expert in the field they also wanted to do the same okay they just wanted to give back yeah and another reason is like when they search in google about like the certain keywords they want to find they were led to these articles so they also thought oh seo hack if i want these keywords uh, to lead to Cotter, uh, then I will write some articles about these. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, we kind of figured out SEO on the go because we benefited from SEO. We also, as a user, we also want to benefit from SEO right, as right, right. a maker. It's interesting that all, all the team already had this in mind, the marketing part in mind, especially <laughs> you mentioned your, your CTO. Um, which normally when you're more a developer, you don't think too much about marketing. This is a painful lesson yeah. that we all, the bootstrappers learn that, okay, actually it's 80% marketing and 20% Correct. developing. But it's funny that all of your team was already there. I guess it's from Y Combinator. We realized that mm. we can never just build. Okay. We, As a founder, we have to wear multiple hats. We have to mm-hmm. do anything to yeah. succeed. Definitely, yeah. So you, you, you mentioned Cotter and then you mentioned Type Dream and you say it's kind of the same. But then I, I, I've seen that Cotter was acquired So and you're still working on, on Type Dream. So what is actually the difference between these two? It's a two completely separate product by the same mean like they were under the same legal entity. So right. they were both a YC company. Mm, okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. But in terms of product, they're a completely separate product. Okay. Tell me just the, then the, the story of Cotter. You developed it once the product was ready. Um, how, how mature was your first product? I think this is really interesting to, to learn because it's a B, B2B, right? So you, you need some features to be able to sell 
So what what is your take on that? Like, what what are the minimal viable products that that you need to do? How do you come up with the features? Well, the thing is, the product idea is simple. It's just log in and sign up, right? Mm-hmm. So the MVP was just that core product, just okay. the fact that other company can use it to allow their users to log in. Right. It's like a, a but, JS snippet or something that they could just introduce in their own code. Yeah, or they could just copy paste to their website. Okay. Okay. Yep, it's a JS snippet, correct? Mm-hmm. And you yeah. you build that, and uh, you how did you acquire your first customers? I guess one customer you already had. <laughs> yeah. But what about the others? And then B two B mostly word of mouth. Okay. Like from that company to another to another. But to be honest, it was quite hard to acquire B2B companies based on our experience at least because, well, we didn't have any experience in mm-hmm. um, getting B2B clients. And um, we faced the chicken and egg problem in which the big companies mm-hmm. don't want to use us because we're small. And the smaller companies don't want to use us at Uh, unless the big companies use us. Huh. Interesting. I didn't know <laughs> so, that, that was a, an issue with B2B. Yeah. It it okay. was our issue. I'm not sure if that applies to anyone mm-hmm. else, but that was what we faced with How did you solve B2B it? sales. Um, well, we did not really solve that, I guess. That's why we pivoted. <laughs> huh. But then yeah, this but is the part least... that, I, that I'm surprised because mm-hmm. you pivoted, but it was acquired. So how do you pivot and still sell it? It is possible because we put it under maintenance mode. So mm-hmm. we still fix the bugs, but we didn't build any new features. Got it. So yeah. when you sold it, you were already working on Type Dream. Correct. Ah, okay. Correct. But we still, yeah, we still maintain Cotter. Okay, and you sold it mostly because of the app itself, not because of the profit it was making. Is that correct? It was for the technology, yes. For the technology, okay. How how did it feel, you know? Because we are just chatting and it seems that everything was like a breeze and chilled. Uh, but I can imagine that you were all under quite some stress, right? So how did it feel to, to get this company acquired uh, by uh, Stitch, right? Yes, by Stitch. Well, it felt amazing because <laughs> at least it was for something, you know, because we've g- gone through a pivot before as well, like from the right. Robinhood app. Mm-hmm. We thought this was was going to be another pivot in which we won't be able to do anything with it and just forget it. Mm. But right. turns out there's this other company who would like to take it further and... Um, take care of our current customers because our main concern at that time was like, what will we gonna do with our current customers? Right, right. Yeah. Because they love our. Some of them really, really love our product. So mm-hmm. it's it's painful that we have to tell them that we are no longer developing or mm-hmm. or even shutting it down. So right. we were really, really thankful of this acquisition mm-hmm. that someone's finally taking care of these customers yeah. we really care about yeah and this is something that also I, i find it to be a huge challenge and i really don't understand maybe, maybe you can help me here so 
you had customers that loved your product, right? So it mm-hmm. was solving a problem. It was a mm-hmm. good solution for that problem. But then you couldn't scale to enough customers to actually make maybe a, a, the profit that you're looking for. Why do Correct. you think this happens? Why do you think that there's you have a product that people want to use, but you just cannot scale it? Like, Was it like mostly a marketing problem? Was it the chicken and the egg problem and you just had to invest more money into marketing? How Do you have any theory on how you can solve this? Yeah, I would say it's the marketing problem in which we are not the right people to build this product because we didn't have any qualifications. Like, who are we? We are not cybersecurity people. We didn't previously work at some Mm. big cybersecurity companies. Because if you, let's say, if the one who built this company previously worked at a cool cybersecurity company, then people will have more trust in you these right. big business owners will have more trust in you and uh, they might not have the chicken and egg problem. It's more like a networking kind of problem. Yeah, so why, why, you were in San Francisco. I mean, you're in Silicon Valley. Couldn't you just like find someone that is an expert and in, in the insecurity and bring them on board? Um, maybe it was the, it's the cost, the opportunity mm. cost that we just did not want to take. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Um, was it a good? You don't have, of course, to tell me the amount. Was it? Was it a good amount? Uh, was it able to somehow pay the bills for you too, or was just uh, not not so much when when you got acquired? Oh, it's actually a, a really nice amount. Okay. Um, and on top of that, we also closed a seed round, so we can sustain mm. a living here. Okay. So, quickly speaking about the uh, type dream. It's also kind of a no-code tool, right? It, it helps. It's like kind of Webflow, right? Like you, you can easily build websites. Correct. How did you come up with the with this idea? And the, where, where, what's the state now uh, of the of the app of the product? Yeah. So we got the idea to build Type Dream from Cotter, actually. So okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> we started seeing Cotter being used by no-code websites and apps just because our solution was so easy. Like you can simply copy-paste our JS script to your website to right. make it work. Um, and then from our users, we saw that some of them built their websites on Notion. Like not Webflow, not any of those popular website builders, but Notion. They build the websites and on Notion. On Notion, yes. They what? built their websites on Notion. Okay, I really don't understand Notion then. <laughs> <laughs> One popular example is Site Hustle Stack. Okay. It's a directory of freelancers, gig work, I would say. And the, it's really big, and the website is built on some of Notion until today. Side, you say uh, Site Hustle Stack. SiteHustleStack.com. Okay, I just opened it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. it looks like Notion. <laughs> this is Notion, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But this is a really big site. It helps, it helps a lot of people. So you found that people were building websites on Notion and then... Uh, yes, and then they integrated Cotter for the login slash sign up solution. So we started interviewing them. Like, why Notion? And then they said, it's because they're familiar with the tool. They are already a Notion user. They love the what you see is what you get editor in which you can just type 
wherever you want the actual text to be. Whereas mm-hmm. with other website builders, you would have to check their left menu bar and drag a text box to the actual page right. to type, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's that simplicity mm-hmm. of Notion that attracted them. Okay. And you decided but, to uh, to make a product for them? Yeah, we decided to explore the idea further. Like we yeah. asked them, we inter- we decided to follow YC this time. So um, we got the idea, but we decided to talk to them more. Um, what they're currently doing? Are there any problems with the Notion to website solution and things okay. like that before actually building TypeDream? And we found two main problems with Notions to re- Notion to website at the time. I'm not sure if it's still true now, but at the time. You can't make buttons on Notion because Notion is a note-taking app. They don't need a default button, but okay. button is a crucial element of a website. Mm-hmm. So okay. what, um, yeah, when if you use Notion to make a button, you will have to create a callout and actually do some CSS to style it like a button okay. to make the okay. radius, to make the color nicer and everything and then the other component that is crucial to websites but not to notion is navigation bar so you found a way to build navigations bar and to build buttons for notion websites and uh, that's kind of what type dream is about is it um it's not for notion websites but we decided to make a completely separate but Notion like editor, but it's it's independent of Notion. It's okay. just that it is similar to Notion in terms of the user interface, but we decided to add website specific elements like mm-hmm. buttons and nav bars, built in okay. elements. Okay. How is that process going? It's like, do you have a lot of clients? Is it easy, easier to get users? Uh, how is that going? So for Type Dream, luckily we did like everything right from the start. So, okay. um, the day we wrote our first line of code, we've we have started building in public. We shared that okay. to Twitter. We shared every single thing we built before even onboarding any clients. So people started following us, following mm-hmm. our journey, and they were interested. And we got like kind of a lot of tra- traction because Notion was booming at the time. Yeah, it was very mm-hmm. hype. Um. And then when we finally, when we were finally ready to invite some users to test the product, we got a lot of um, people on the wait list because they have been following our journey building the product itself for a few months. Right, right. That's very interesting. So, so uh, building public is is also a thing for the VC and the Y Combinator scenario because I thought it was more. I thought it was more. For bootstrappers and people that have no money and they they have to build in public to somehow get some marketing for free, and I thought that for <laughs> startup world you just you know you get investment and that's it. It's it's interesting. Like, were there a lot of people in the YC also speaking about uh, building public? To be honest, until today, I think we're I think we're the only VC funded company who is doing building in public. Wow. Yeah, oh, like that's... none of my Twitter connections slash friends are VC funded, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just 
started following people in the no code community because I found out of this notion to website thing, and I found some pioneers in the no code bootstrap mm-hmm. world, and just decided to try to do what they did because it's working, and I actually enjoy right. reading their tweets, their, their updates. <laughs> do you think that this gives you an edge? To, to be the only one that you know that builds in public and still tries to to raise money? Do you think that you, you become a better product maker if you build in public and you do the things the way you are? Yeah, I would think so. My thought is, although we're VC-founded, I personally don't think it's wise to spend our sp- uh, funding money on paid marketing like ads or things like that when mm-hmm. you still haven't really figured out your product because right. the customer acquisition cost will just be too high right your product mm-hmm. isn't even perfect you're already spending money and just spreading it spreading the ads everywhere because you don't know what your niche is yet. Yeah. you don't yeah, know yeah, what yeah. your target market is yet so i think it's really wise for us to start bootstrapping our marketing Right. That way we know who our target is. Mm-hmm. Like now we mm-hmm. know it's startup founders yeah, and yeah. freelancers. And once our product is like more mature, I would say, then it's finally yeah. wise to start doing paid marketing. Yeah. Then then yeah, mm-hmm. it makes little sense. I don't know. For me, that's kind of what I think. I, I think that uh being a bootstrapper is really the best way to learn how to actually build the product somehow because you don't have any money. So there's no way that you can spend whatever, you know, under thousand euros or dollars, whatever in, in, in ads. Um, you, you just really have to build something with product market, market feed. You really need to understand your customers. Um, and um, it, it's interesting to see that you, that you agree with that. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that. And I believe yeah. that the VC funding will be beneficial later in the stage when we have we finally figured everything out and just want to scale right more quickly we- than if you don't have any funding. Mm. Yeah. Which is the phase where you are now, right? You're getting your seed round or did you already get it? We yeah, we already closed to the seed round. Okay. So now that's that's your uh your, the, the stage you are at, right? Like you, you, you're raising money. Um, wh- what are the next steps for um, Type Dream? The next steps would be to dive into Web3. So um, basically what we are trying to do is to make sure we follow what's happening in this world. Last time right. it was with the Notion hype, the no-code hype. Now that everyone's going into Web3, we also want to be there. Hmm. Okay, this is this is perfect for the last, <laughs> last topic here of our interview, which is uh, what is Web3? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so a simple definition is, let me start with Web1. Web1 okay. is those kind of websites in which you can only read. Like, they display an a set of information mm. you can only see the information without doing anything right Static you HTML as the visitor kind of thing. yeah okay web 2 you can read and write so there are a set of information you can view but then you can also write something to it like let's say 
giving comments to someone's blog post, mm. uploading a product, right, liking okay. or, or disliking it, king mm-hmm. an image. Yeah, you can add something to it. Like you can write something to it, right? Okay. And then Web three is read, write, and own. So you finally have ownership on the content you post online. What What do you mean with it? Uh, because I mean, if you write a comment, you also have ownership on that comment, right? So, but if someone copy pasted your comment and write it as their own, and they're somewhat more popular in the social media, then it would be them and not yours anymore. Right. Right. Yeah. With Web three, you can't do that. They can always track who the original author is. So that's connected then with the blockchain. Ah, okay. I mean, it's still kind of surprising for me how this works. But uh, so anything you write, any comment, any blog post, will forever any be connected you upload. with you. Yes. Any image you upload. Okay. Any images, any music. Yep. Anything. Any content online okay will always okay. be able to be backtracked to you and how is then uh, type dream using web3 right now we're currently building something bigger in web3 which is still in the idea ideation stage so i can't really talk much about it uh, yet okay. but mm-hmm. what we're building like the smaller projects we have built and launched in web3 are so last time the first few months of the nft boom people were buying different kinds of nfts from this yeah, and that yeah one person can own like five or more nfts right mm-hmm. and they wanted to display that somewhere because um, the world is now online and their identity are NFTs. So right. they want to display it as a part of their portfolio. How? They want to display it on their personal site, right? But how? Do you want to just take a screenshot of your NFT image and upload it to your website? That's not ideal. Mm-hmm. So we decided to build a way for them to be able to um, import their NFT to their personal site Okay. So, so they can display the NFTs their own in okay. their personal okay. portfolio. That's the first mini Very project we did in Web3. And then the second one, um, just a few months after the whole NFT buying hype, now people want to make their own NFT. They, just, they don't want to just own. They want to make their own. Right, yeah. So a lot of people, um, especially companies, they were building their own nfts and allowing people to mint usually as Mm -hmm. a gateway or an access to their company's features right what is usually an nft to claim it so right um let's say this company a releases an nft in which the owners of the NFTs can get premium access to the company's A's premium features that are not available to the general public. Mm-hmm. If you're an, a user of company A and you really want to access company's, company A's premium features, then you would claim this NFT of company A by okay. minting it. And since you have this NFT in your possession, you can now access 
the company's premium features. Okay. What is yeah. the difference between that or just be an early user and, uh, you know, you're just the first user and then you just get access to life or you just pay something in the beginning and you get mm -hmm. access to life? Like, what is the difference yep. between that? Same thing. It's just that in Web2, people use waitlist using email. In right, Web3, yeah. people use this minting thing. So if you own my NFT, you can access to my you can access my feature. Right. And where do That's I store it? it? Is it is like in the the wallet, like uh, in Bitcoin the wallet, and crypto? Okay. Wallet, yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. So yeah, since more and more companies wanted to build, wanted to enable their users to mint their NFTs, and not all companies are technical companies. Um, we decided to make a way for these companies to make a minting page mm. without any codes. Very interesting. And what mm -hmm. um, what is the name of that product? Is it already available? It's in Type Dream. It's it's just a page template, one pager ah, minting page template that can right, actually function. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. So Type Dream is a you can build websites with the Web three technology, right? W within the Web three. Um, creating uh, your own um, NFTs, doing all of that. You can do that with Type Dream. NFT minting page, yes. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, okay. you can create an NFT minting page with the yeah. Web3 functionalities in Type Dream, correct? Right. It's interesting that this is kind of replacing email. I never thought that this was one of the reasons or that... that one of the consequences of uh, NFTs that they would replace this ownership, like right? Wait so, lists. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wait lists. And... Yeah, well, people currently use it to do that. I'm not sure if that's the end goal, but it's the current mm -hmm. trend. So I buy a ticket for a concert, right? And now mm -hmm. the process is I get this ticket on my email. Um, it gets some kind of QR code or something. Uh, mm -hmm. And then I always keep it in my email until I use it. And then I kind of, you know, delete it or drop it or forget about it. Mm -hmm. You're saying that now people will sell NFTs as tickets, right? Correct, correct. And then I'll keep this in my wallet mm -hmm. and that's how I would use it. And uh, there's ownership forever. Like no one can steal this ticket from me because it's, you know, with the blockchain technology, it's really impossible to do that because this my name is always engraved there. Correct. The token, right? Correct. You you cannot transfer it as well. So you will use this NFT as your ticket to that concert, mm -hmm. as well as if, let's say, the same concert company is holding another concert in the future, you will be notified as well as the NFT holder. Right. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Really and then the good part is that... Mm -hmm. If that NFT is valuable, like if the company who released the NFT is hyped, then you can technically trade your NFT in the marketplace. You can sell it. Oh, okay. Like OpenSea or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is maybe something something else that you want to build with TypeTrim. <laughs> like <laughs> we don't have any products in that yeah. yet, but yeah, you can yeah. sell it. It's tradable. Right. Well, with tickets, you could also sell it in Facebook Marketplace or something. Yeah, exactly. But I guess it's that's easier. I, <laughs> so that's what I mean. That's what I mean with like the whole blockchain thing, which, which is you can still do it. So like uh, coins, right? Um, digital money is something that already exists. 
but it's not decentralized, right? So you have one database that controls everything. And now Correct. it seems that everything is coming to this decentralization and it's just replacing a way of doing something. But you can still buy tickets online. You can still pay things without Web3. But Web3, yeah. I guess it's it's making things more convenient, I guess, more secure. Correct. Is that Correct. it? And maybe in the future, there will be... You can no longer buy tickets the way you do right now. Maybe everything will be in Web3 in the future. Right, 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 right. You believe that? Yeah, I do. I mean, it's easier. It's transparent, secure. Michelle, this is really, really cool. Um, <laughs> I, I've learned a lot, a lot from you and, and from your journey. From uh, so, what is like my my last question here is, what is next for you? I mean, you've been building so many things in the last years, and and I also really appreciate the fact that you just. You build something and whilst building something, you realize that there's a need for something else, but it's all kind of part of your journey that all started with the Robinhood for Indonesia, <laughs> which is really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, where do you see, w what's your future like? Um, do you see yourself now working in Type Dream forever with your co-founders? Uh, do, do, do you think about the future and how it uh, you want it to be for yourself personally? Yeah. Um, exactly what you said. I imagine spending the rest of my life working on Type Dream with my co-founders. If possible, I would like to go yeah, further yeah. than this, you know? I mean, like, we just raised seed, but if possible, mm -hmm. we would like to continue the series A, B, C, and so on mm -hmm. until IPO. So you don't see yourself doing something without your co-founders? Um, not as of now. No. Okay. Okay. Amazing. Michelle, thank you so much. I, I, I'm I, certain that in the future I'll see you and I'll buy some stocks <laughs> from Time <laughs> or some NFT. I don't know <laughs> what will be. Uh, but it was really um, a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much for uh, borrowing so a little much, bit of your Yago. time. It was really fun. Thank you so much yeah. for the opportunity will... to be on your podcast. Yeah, my pleasure. And I will link um, your uh, Twitter profile, Type Dream, and uh, everything we talked about really in the show notes so that the users mm -hmm. can easily access it. Okay. Uh, and uh, yeah, for for the listeners, there's a lot of uh, other interviews um, about uh, bootstrapping, entrepreneurship, uh, building in public in my website, wannabe-entrepreneur.com. So you can just go there and check it out. And uh, this was another wannabe entrepreneur. See you next time.